0: Thanks for tuning in to the Change Church Podcast. We believe change is more than a church, it's a culture, and we are living out our purpose so that others can find theirs. We hope that this message encourages and inspires you. Now, here's Pastor Elijah Hollis. We've been in a series called uh, Limitless, and we've been talking about the limits, the limits of fear, limits of the mindset and loss. And and, uh, so today, she has a very timely message that I saw and she's speaking to passion the conference to all the campuses. And, but I, I thought it'd be very timely today. She's talking about the limit of shame. So would you open up your hearts? Would you get your notepads out, get your phones out, get ready to receive what God has for you? I believe that today is gonna to be a day where shame is broken off so that we can come alive to who he is, amen? Amen. So would you help me? Would we all stand to our feet? And can we make a huge round of applause for yours truly, Christine Kane. I was in kindergarten in 1972, so that was in the last millennium, and so I went to school and I am Greek, so I don't know if anyone here has ever seen my big fat Greek wedding. Yes, okay, well that is fully my big fat Greek life I grew up I did not speak English until I was five. Um, my parents were um, spoke Greek they were born in Alexandria, Egypt, and they immigrated to Australia they spoke five languages so if they didn't want us to understand what they were saying, they would either speak in French, Italian, or Arabic because we spoke uh, Greek and English and when I got older and so in my household there was always a lot of languages, and the best benefit about coming from parents who were born in Egypt but are Greek is that you got to eat a lot of food that is very yummy, like a lot of Middle Eastern food, a lot of Greek food, and so, and everything was always loud, everything was always crazy, so you wonder why. Gee, Chris is really passionate and she talks really fast, although after hearing Andy rap just then, I'm thinking I need to up my game in terms of how many words a minute I can can say. Um, But I went to school and my mother used to send me to school with feta cheese sandwiches. And I don't know if you know what feta cheese is, but it will be served at the marriage supper of the Lamb, like definitely, it is awesome. And Greeks like to put garlic on everything. So I would go to school with my feta cheese and garlic sandwich, which was just like normal food. The problem is all the Aussie kids would eat Vegemite sandwiches. Now I don't know if you know what Vegemite is, but it is a black, thick substance. It's a yeast extract. And when the American students come to Bible college in Australia, we sort of have like a Vegemite competition where we put it, you're only supposed to have it very, very thin, but we make it about two inches thick, put it on toast, and then watch everyone buff. so that's what you do for kicks when you're Aussie. But the Aussie kids would have Vegemite sandwiches, I would have feta cheese sandwiches. And I remember the first time I did this, there was a little boy called Wayne and another boy called Raymond. And I was Christine Caryophilus back then, because that's what my name was. Nick thought I made a good move to marry a cane, but I like Karyophilus, so it was Christine Karyophilus. There was no other Karyophilus at my school. In fact, there was no one else in my school with any ethnic last name, because I was, grew up in a part of Australia that was just kind of very, very Australian, so I went to school with my little lunch box When I opened it, Raymond began laughing at me and Wayne, and they started calling me names because of this food that I was eating, because I I didn't know there was anything wrong with feta cheese and garlic, but at five years old, when you're shamed like that at school, it kind of affects a lot of stuff. So they laughed at me because of my sandwich, and then really for the whole rest of that year at school, My mum would make my sandwich and I would throw my sandwich in the bin before I got into school so that the kids wouldn't laugh at me at school. Shame is a horrible thing. There's probably not one person in this room that hasn't experienced some form of shame in some way, shape or form. It wasn't just my school lunch being fed a cheese and garlic that was being laughed at. What those boys didn't know is that I'd also, by that stage, by the time I'd already gone to school, I had already been the victim of sexual abuse and that continued right through to my teen years. So in my life, I never ever knew a time that I didn't know shame. I didn't know what shame was, whether it was because of my ethnicity growing up, the only Greek migrant in a very Australian culture, or because I was sexually abused, or because I was a woman that loved to play soccer and not play with Barbie dolls, or because I liked to read books and not just cook in the kitchen. I didn't fit in the traditional Greek girl mold And what I heard from the time I was a very little girl was, Christine, why can't you be normal? Christine, why can't you be like all the other girls? So if it wasn't my gender or if it wasn't my ethnicity, it was being abused and right from the time that I have my earliest memories in life, I remember there was a tape recorder in my mind, what is wrong with me? I always thought there was something wrong with me, which set me on a trajectory in life to make a whole lot of poor decisions, to make a whole lot of poor relational decisions, to be looking for love and affirmation in all of the wrong places, to be looking for fulfillment in all the wrong things because that's what shame does. Shame tells you there's something wrong with you. And you and I in 2018, have come out of a year where I've not seen more shame flung around the earth. Probably because of the internet and social media. An article in the New York Times called this a shame culture. And there's barely a day that anyone wakes up where you don't feel like you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not thin enough, you're not handsome enough, you're not connected enough. There's something wrong with you. You feel good until you get onto social media and go, whoa. I was feeling okay until I logged on today. There wouldn't be a person in here or in Anthem or the infinite energy arena that hasn't in some way, shape or form felt some sense of shame. Our culture does that to us. Can't even go to the supermarket and buy something without the magazine telling you you're too fat or you're too ugly or you're not connected or you're not celebrity enough or it's just the world in which we live. And I want to pose a question today from Scripture to tell you this is nothing new. We're in 2018, but when you go right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter two and three, you will see right there at the beginning of Scripture the enemy only ever had one plan and through that one plan, he's come to still kill and destroy our purpose and our destiny and he's still doing the same thing. He is not original. He's doing the same thing in 2018 that he started in the Garden of Eden. And it's about time that we the people of God wake up to this Because we've got a culture that heaps shame on us, and I've come to Passion 2018 to declare and decree shame off every one of you in Jesus' name, because Jesus came to set us free from shame. Jesus came to set us free from guilt and condemnation. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, we're going to go to verse 25. The Bible says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman! The woman! whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. It's her fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this? That you... It's her fault's not in there, just in case you, I just, you know, don't send me a text and go, that's not in there. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this? That you have done, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate and there comes victim culture and there comes the blame culture. He blamed her, she blamed the serpent, everyone blames everyone because nothing's anybody's fault anymore. Everybody is someone's fourth time, you know, kind of before I was born 16 centuries ago, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and because of that and they did that and they did this and this, this is why I'm where I am today. And so no one wants to assume any personal responsibility for anything and so that's why we've ended up in the world in which we live today. But it started right back in the Garden of Eden. Right there, did you notice in Genesis 2.25, the very last verse before we go into the fall of Genesis 3, the very last verse of Genesis 2, we have the Garden of Eden explained, the creation of Adam and Eve. And then all of a sudden, the last thing God wants us to know before we go into the fall, He says, Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame. Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. It doesn't say they were unafraid. It doesn't say that they were happy or joyful. It doesn't say anything. It says they were unashamed. God wants us to know before we went into the fall that there was one thing that humanity was never created to bear the burden of, and that's the burden of shame. Because God wanted us to know they were naked and they knew no shame. We were not created to know what shame feels like. We were not created to carry the burden of shame. So if you were the enemy and you wanted to take out the one thing that was created in the image of God, wouldn't it make sense that you would try to put something on them that God created them to never know what it felt like? It's no doubt, he said, shame. Our words are very powerful. There's power of life and death, Scripture teaches us, in the tongue and, dare I say, in the 21st century, in our thumbs or our fingers. What we tweet, what we Facebook, what we put out there in the atmosphere, there is life and death. God constructed and framed the world in which we live with the words that He spoke. He gave us His Word and the enemy thought, if I'm going to take them down, heap shame on them, I'm going to start with saying, did God really say? Question number one. Oh, it hasn't changed in 2018. The question for our generation is, did God really say? How much of this are you going to believe? What parts of this don't you like? If it doesn't suit you, how about we change it? We dilute it. Did God really say, has it changed? He started right there. First words we see in scripture was testing the authority of God's word. Questioning the authority of god's word because if we can undermine the authority of god's word we can take the power out of what our faith is all about and so the enemy has not changed we're in 2018 and the question for us on campuses all around or all around the world is did god really say did god really Say. So he goes, did God actually say? Because here's the deal, if you do not know what God says, you will believe what the media says, you will believe what your friends say, you will believe what some teachers said, you will believe what some friend ex-lover said. If you don't know what God says about you, you will believe the lies of the enemy. And we need a generation that loves the Word of God, that knows what God says about us so we can rise up and be who God has called us to be and do what God has called us to do. But the devil will always say, did God really say? Did God really say that's how he wants you to live morally? Did God really say you shouldn't cheat on your... Tax return? Did God really say you don't really have to tell the whole truth? Did God really say you can't sleep with that? Did God really say, oh, that question will always be there, did God really say? Because if He can sow that seed of doubt as to what God really said, but if you go back to the original. Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, twist it, turn it upside down, put it through the dishwasher, then through the washing machine, then maybe, you know, we can make it say what we want it to say. Did God really say? Now, here's the deal. Remember Genesis chapter 1? She already was created in the image of God, but because she forgot who she was, the enemy made her do. The very thing God told her not to do so that she could become who she already was. You see, if you understand who you are as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you won't be looking for God in all the wrong places. The enemy is lying to a generation and saying, why don't you do the antithesis of what God has told you to do so that you can be fulfilled. When you seek your fulfillment outside of the will of God, it is a lie from the enemy. The only way you will ever be fulfilled is to do what God has put you on the planet to do and become the son and daughter of the king you already are. That's how you get ultimate fulfillment. (laughs) See, when you know you're a son or a daughter of the king, you act like one. A daughter of the king, she's not going to jump into bed with everyone, because you don't do that when you're royalty. You know who you are. No one has to put some moral guilt trip on me. Christianity is not a behavior modification program. When your whole pursuit is personal piety and behavior modification, we've turned Christianity into this rules and regulations. That is not what the gospel is about. But when you discover who you are, when you know that you're a son of the king, you're not gonna treat a woman like she's some object for you to use and abuse, you're not gonna do that because you know who you are and you know who she is. Guilt and condemnation doesn't change anyone. Nick and I, with A21, our life is spent rescuing slaves and putting traffickers in jail. What I have discovered, and we need to do that. But legislation, you cannot legislate the human heart. Jesus Christ transforms the human heart, and that's why Legislation alone isn't gonna do it. We need God to move in our world. If we are going to see injustice turned around, it's gonna take a whole lot of Christians living just, upright, moral lives that show this world that there is a higher way and we're not doing it out of legalism or guilt or condemnation, but we're doing it because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and He has transformed our hearts. He's transformed our hearts. So it's not because I'm better than you and so I don't get stoned on campus or I don't get drunk on campus or I don't screw around. It's not this moral supremacy. It's a revelation of who I am as a son and daughter of the king. When you get a revelation that you already are that, you're not gonna try to seek that through everything else. But see what shame does is it comes to separate you from God. So you spend your whole life looking for what you already have in Christ, but you're looking for it everywhere else so you're never gonna be fulfilled and you're gonna continue to heap shame on yourself and then you're not gonna feel worthy enough to do what God has called you to do and so your Christian life becomes one whole yo-yo, three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. But I've come to Passion 2018, drawing a line in the sand saying, no, a generation is gonna move forward. We need to get a revelation of who we are in Christ and what our mandate is in Christ on the earth. Because what happened next was Adam and Eve recognized that they were naked and the Bible says so they hid from God. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. The reason he tries to make us walk outside of the will of God is so that we will then feel shame and guilt and condemnation and hide from God. And many of us, our Christian life amounts to not much more than coming into the presence of God for a second and then running away because I've done something wrong and in and out and in and out rather than taking ground and moving forward. And I'm believing God that's going to break in this place today. At DC, Infinite, unbelieving God that shame is going to lift off people and we're going to stop playing this Christian yo-yo game. Come and get fired up. Live, more, live good for a couple of weeks and then bang, we're back into patterns of destructive behavior. But a lot of us, we live like that because of what has happened to us or because of things that we've done. That's what happened to me. I had developed a life of patterns of destructive behavior because I was abused from a young girl. I was so broken. I had built so many defense mechanisms in my life. So the Lord comes into the garden and the first question we see This is the first dialogue between God and man in Scripture. God's question is, where are you? I think God's asking that to our generation now. Where are you? He's coming to your college campus and He's like, where are you? Where are my sons and daughters? Where is the salt and light on this campus? Where are you? Why did you go into hiding? Why have you run from me? And the first question, Adam goes, we were naked, afraid, and so we hid. Fear, shame, and hiding, first conversation between God and man. Still there today. We have a world that wants to make us feel like idiots because we're Christians. Man, you guys are not tolerant enough. You guys are too legalistic. You guys are not loving enough. You guys are not inclusive enough your tables aren't long enough, you guys are just judgmental. And because we don't know actually who we are, we believe these lies and so we go into hiding on campus. We go into hiding and we don't profess the gospel because truth be told, we're a little bit ashamed because we don't know how to reconcile a pluralistic culture and a gospel And so we think, oh, yeah, maybe we are not loving enough. Maybe we aren't just not inclusive enough, and maybe this gospel, I mean, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Maybe that's just like a bit much, and if I just pull back and I just love from a distance. And we think that's loving? (laughs) And the reason we're running away is because we actually don't know the gospel. And I wonder whether we've really encountered Jesus Christ. Because if you've really encountered Jesus and you've really been set free, and you really understand the power of gospel, there's nothing condemnatory about it. There is nothing that would hold anyone back. There is something in you that would be compelled to want to tell everyone you know about the love and the grace and the mercy and the freedom that is ours to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul in Romans 1.16 says I am not ashamed of the gospel of his name because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes first to the and then to the Gentile. Man, when you get a revelation of the power of the gospel, of the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to go into hiding. But if shame's been heaped on you, whether it's by culture, or because of what's happened to you, or because of the mistakes that you've made in your life, you're going to do exactly what Adam and Eve did. You're going to try to cover yourself and go into hiding. I grew up in the poorest zip code in New South Wales, the state I grew up in. I told you I'd been sexually abused, I was broken, I was um, the ethnic kid, so I carried the shame of all of that. And I remember I made friends with a girl called Deborah. And Deborah was awesome, but she went to the best private school in New South Wales, she was Uh, a cheerleader and just a a beautiful young woman, very athletic and academically, I mean, she was just like a 4.0 student. She was brilliant, came from a very affluent family. And we became friends and I remember thinking, I sort of wanted to tell her about Jesus, but I thought, what can I tell her? Why would she need Jesus? She comes from an affluent family, she lives in a beautiful home, She's a top student, she's got a great boyfriend, she's got a great social life. She's going to laugh at me and think, well, I'm a loser, and I needed Jesus. She's a winner, she doesn't need Jesus. See I hadn't really had a revelation of the gospel at that point. Religion yes, but not the power that is in the gospel to set people free because I was still so bound by shame. I was still so bound by what had happened to me. I was heaven bound, but I was going to heaven in chains and shackles and bondages. I was not going to heaven in the freedom that was mine to have here on earth so that I could set other people free. There would be no A21. There would be no Propel because I was bound. And you can get to heaven bound, (laughs) spiritually free, but not outworking that freedom here on earth. That's what shame does to you. And I remember one day, I didn't see Deb for three days. I was at the home building at Sydney University in the cafeteria and I was a bit worried. I thought I haven't seen her for a few days and then I looked up and she was walking into the cafeteria. And she came into the cafeteria and she runs up to me, she goes, Chris, Chris, I go, Deb, where have you been? She goes, Chris, and this was 1989, so rave parties had just hit Australia. She goes, Chris, I just went to a rave party. It was in this warehouse in the back of Sydney. She goes, it was so awesome. I haven't slept for three days. We danced for three days. We partied, it was so awesome. Christine, I've never felt so much love. I never felt so much joy. I never felt so much peace in my life. And with that, she put her hand in her pocket. And she goes, Christine, I so wanted you to feel the love and the joy and the peace that I felt that I saved you half an ecstasy tablet because I wanted you to experience what I experienced. And in that moment, everything changed for me because I thought my friend loves me way more than I love her. She's more passionate about a synthetic drug than I am about Jesus. And the last time I checked, love, joy and peace were fruits of the Holy Spirit of God, not fruits of ecstasy. So my friend that I thought had everything, money, boyfriend, academic prowess, the girl that I thought had everything, what she was looking for on the inside was acceptance and love and joy and peace. And that day when you wonder why is Chris at 52 such a radical revolutionary still for Jesus Christ, because that day in the home building of Sydney University, I made a decision. I shall never again be ashamed of the Gospel of His name for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. People are dying for you and I to tell them the gospel. And if you and I are pulling back from it, it's because of shame. Around A21, we see people rescued, set free, propel women, helping women around the world. There would be none of that if all I did was hung on to my anger and my unforgiveness and my bitterness and just kept tweeting about it for the last 30 years. There came a point where I had to show that what Jesus did for me was bigger than what they did to me. And there comes a point where we have to make a decision. Jesus sets us free. Don't live bound by anger or bitterness or unforgiveness. Don't get caught up with the naysayers. Don't get caught up in the world of anger out there. We love all people. And I'm here to tell you there is hope. There is redemption. There is freedom. Jesus Christ set me free. And the same Jesus that set me free can set anybody free on this earth. Jesus Christ sets us free. Let me finish with this. Who told you? Jesus says, where are you? And then he comes out, the Lord's walking through the garden. And then he said this, and I'm asking you, who told you? Who told you? Who told you you were naked? Where is the lie that you believed? Where did you believe it? Who told you you were dumb? Who told you you were fat? Who told you you were stupid? Who told you you were ugly? Who told you you'll never amount to anything? Who told you? Was it like me in kindergarten, someone said something to you? Someone abused you 20 or 30 years ago or 10 years ago? Somebody, a parent said, I wish you were never born. Somebody said, you're unlovable. Who told you? Where, locate where you believe the lie and we're gonna be set free at this passion Jesus, the Lord sent to them in the garden. Who told you? Who told you? Who told you? What is it that you read? That's why it's so important to monitor. What are you reading? What are you listening to? Because if you're not listening to what God says, faith comes by hearing Romans 10, 17 and hearing by the Word of God. If you're not listening to God, you're listening to the lies of someone. And you've got to replace the lie with the truth. Listen, I was abused for 12 years. Nothing's going to change that. But I'm 51 years old. I have not been being abused for 39 years so I haven't been being abused a lot longer than I was abused I am not going to allow one moment one incident, one season one chapter of my story to determine my whole story, Jesus Christ is the one that determines my whole story you can be set free you can be set free I don't know what they told you but if it doesn't line up with the Word of God you've got to replace the lie with the truth and that's what I had to do Replace the lie with the truth. Let me show you this. My birth certificate, if you guys have got this, can you put it up on the screen? I think it's gonna. My birth certificate up there, it says child's name unnamed. Number 2508 of 1966. I don't have a name on my birth certificate. That's why to me, human trafficking, 40 million slaves, numbers are numbing, numbers are dehumanizing, numbers are desensitizing. It is easy to ignore suffering when it's nameless and faceless that's why people are never numbers people are created in the image of god because i'm one degree of separation away from that i've got a social worker report that was released two weeks before i was born if you put that up it says i think you could bring the one that's a bit closer it talks about my biological mother she does not seem to be too emotionally involved with a child she seems to want to get it all over and done with and get back to work as soon as possible who told you See, that document says that I'm unwanted. The Department of Community Services said I'm unnamed. The Royal Hospital for Women said that I'm unwanted. And over here, this is the University of New South Wales. On the 23rd of March, 1993, 25 years ago, this document says that I'm unqualified to do what I'm doing. Now, remember, I run 821. 12 officers around the world. If you would just put up the picture, a month ago, Nick and I, or three weeks ago, were in India. That guy next to me is Gandhi's great-grandson, and Nick and I, on behalf of A21, received um, the Mother Teresa Memorial Award for Social Justice in India last week, so (laughs) three weeks ago. And that was given to us by Gandhi's great-grandson. Why am I showing you that? Because if you go back to the other documents, sorry guys, the other documents, what they said in 1993, that's what the experts said, they said I was unqualified to do what I'm doing today. So why am I showing you this? I'm showing you these three documents because the Lord in the Garden of Eden said, who told you? Three questions. Did God really say will always be the question to every generation? God will always ask, where are you? Where'd you go? And then He's gonna ask, who told you? Because this is what the experts said about me. The government said I was unnamed, black and white ink on paper. The, the, if you guys would leave those up for a minute, the the other, the Royal Hospital for Women said that I was unwanted. Black and white ink on paper, that's the medical report, that's the diagnosis, that's what they declared over me, that's what my identity was. And then the University of New South Wales said that I was unqualified. I'm not denying it, black and white ink on paper, it's the facts, I can see it, but you know what? I found another black and white ink on paper and it's called the truth of the Word of God. And you get to choose. Which black and white ink on paper are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the facts of your circumstances or the truth of the Word of God? My Bible says, if you abide in the Word, then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free in Jesus' name. It's the truth of the Word of God. At Change Church, we believe in doing life together.